Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're going through our book by uh, Nancy Piercy, Finding Truth. And we just started out, so you haven't missed much. you got two episodes to go through. Uh, but if you want, uh, all we did was the intro, which is kind of nice because she summed it up, uh, the entire book for us. And uh, we she looked, went through all, all five principles. Right. right? We, yeah. we looked at um, a guide on how to identify uh, different worldviews so that you don't have to kind of know every facet of every single worldview that you might, might encounter. This kind of gives you general principle outlines on how to uh, identify and attack and answer different uh, objections that you might uh, come across. And so... Uh, her principles, she has five uh, principles that she gets from Romans 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one that we're going over in detail today is uh, identifying the idol, because uh, everyone who uh, has not recognized who God is has, will always create an idol and supplant uh, the image of the divine for the image of man or uh, some other thing. <clears throat> then uh, part two is that uh, we identify the idol's reductionism. How, how does it reduce man and how does um, kind of the stuff that uh, uh, the, the world shows people that humanity is, uh, how, how does how do the different worldviews kind of not fit that into the box and say, well, that's kind of outside. So yeah. that'll be an interesting chapter. Yeah. And then the next two are internal critiques of, of, of the worldview. The first one is uh, testing the idol. Does it contradict what we know about the world? So what do we see in the world and how does that worldview that you're testing, how does that um, uh, take into those uh, the, the, that, that effect and, and does it have explanation power to yeah, it? Yeah, so the fancy word for this is, <clears throat> is the worldview empirically adequate? Mm-hmm. Right? Does it meet our experience of the world kind right. of thing? Yeah. And then uh, four is Tessiato. Does it contradict itself? Does does it meet its own standard? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's definitely an important one. And the final one is, of course, always give them the word. Always give them uh, the salvation message of the gospel. Uh, make the case for Christianity is right. what she calls it. Replace the idol. That's, that's <laughs> our goal. Our goal is not to argue for argument's sake. It's not to um, win points. It's not to have the most likes on, on social media, although that, that seems to be uh, a, a bigger trend now. Um, but uh, but that's our goal is to uh, to make uh, disciples of, of Jesus Christ. So. Yeah. So it's interesting here. She, as I think we pointed out last time, she <clears throat> wants her book here. Let me see if I can find it real quick to uh, really deal with these. Uh, uh, you know, with this issue, she says, um, uh, "Let's see, uh, let's see. Maybe that's not it." So what she was trying to accomplish here is to give us really. Uh, uh, a way to deal with every worldview, right? So that we don't have to know every worldview because and know every answer to every worldview, right. but a general take on how to deal with worldviews, mm-hmm. right? This is what she's after here. Right. That's what she's trying to do. And so we're starting principle two, or I'm sorry, uh, part two, principle one. Uh, so you can kind of think this is chapter two. Uh, she entitles it Twilights of the Gods. And if you ever remembered the old uh, TV show In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, uh, he covered the, the kind of this book of uh, the aliens coming down and, and being our, our gods. What we come to think as, uh, you know, uh, the Egyptian gods, the Babylonian gods, really aliens. So this is the Twilight of the Gods. So uh, she's using this as kind of a, a, a tongue-in-cheek version of, of, of these different small G gods coming and trying to supplant 
uh, big G God into um, uh, his rightful place, and mm-hmm. they're trying to come in. So um, we're, we're, we're identifying the idol, so mm-hmm. we, we, we should name it and claim it, as, as uh, <laughs> certain denominations would, would say. So we, we want to make sure that we're fully understanding uh, what people are presenting, and so uh, this, this chapter will, will help. Yeah, and so, so, and I think this is interesting, and she kind of makes this point <clears> that, you know, we, we get an advantage if we don't just say, you know, belief versus unbelief, right? A believer versus an unbeliever. She says, no, well, a better approach would be a believer in God versus a believer in an idol, right? Because all folks have idols, right? right. Even the people that claim to not to believe anything, they have idols, right? Mm-hmm. And so she, and we'll see that as we go through this, right? So this identifying idols, uh, and which she pulls right out of uh, Romans chapter one is, uh, I think, a helpful concept. Right, right. Th- there's no one that's approaching you that is in a neutral point. Uh, they should also be offering up a a alternative explanation to your explanation. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 enough to answer critiques and attacks, but um, th- this 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 guide will help you kind of turn it and say, okay, well, w- what are you bringing to the table? Because there's obviously some way that the other person that you're talking to is viewing the world how do they view evidence what is what what constitutes as evidence for their side and so um th- th- this way you get you kind of instead of um you know needing to understand quantum physics to figure out if whether or not quantum physics is a direct argument for god you can take a step back and say okay well what what about quantum physics allows you to generate that idea and mm-hmm. believe that science uh, gives you um, truthful data or that that it uh, it lends to the credibility of, of whatever they're they're arguing for mm-hmm. so that's this this helps to, does that it's kind of you know the question kind of like okay fine uh, what has to be the case for science even in general to work mm-hmm. right and this is kind of a transcendental question a presuppositional question right so we don't let the unbeliever get away with these assumptions oftentimes in evidentialist approaches the unbeliever just gets away with all kinds of assumptions because we're focusing on a particular evidence and um you know, we're saying, well, let's step back because there are all kinds of assumptions and we want to know how they deal with those. Right. right. And so uh, we don't allow them to get away with that mm-hmm. stuff. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Presuppositionalists aren't opposed to evidence. We just need to understand where somebody is coming from to be able to claim that evidence as good or wrong or. Right. And, and we attempt to try to help them to see where they're coming from. Right. 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 All right. Um, so. Uh, she uh, gives a story uh, about a student who has these questions and he goes to his church and unable to find it until he comes to her and realizes that uh, in college that um, that there are answers to the hard questions of, of uh, Christianity and um, we shouldn't be uh, afraid of those things. We, we make a serious mistake is what she says when Christian parents, teachers and churches dismiss young people's doubts and questions. And I, I, I almost think that we're finally enough away from this type of attitude um, where this is now becoming uh, more the cases where we're understanding what apologetics is. There's more resources out there. There's more books being written. There's Mm -hmm. more, uh, you know, the the kind of the benefit of living in the so-called post-Christian America or the post-Christian West is the true Christianity has been able to 
be more readily identifiable yeah. and uh, p- people are, are able to say, okay, um, here's a bunch of people who are attacking our position. Well, great. Now, now we, we know who the, the, the real people are, or at least better understand. And, and now are there answers to these questions like, you know, uh, contradictions in the Bible, which yeah. uh, we went over a Jason Lyle book, yeah. which you can yeah. find that in our he first book. He has 400 that he deals yeah. with, right? Yeah, yeah. so, so Technically, this guy it, uh, actually didn't, didn't go to her. <clears throat> he went to uh, Francis uh, uh, Schaefer in, in Labrie there. Yeah. That's where, and that's where he began to get his answers from. Right. right. Yeah. So, so uh, young <laughs> people are now finding opportunities to find answers to their question. And the good news is that there are answers. Uh, because we are created in God's image as, as rational, responsible beings, we all have a philosophy. Uh, it's also called universal. We all have one. So uh, it's, it's, it's part of our humanitarian makeup is, again, no one, no one approaches anything in a neutral position. We, we always try and talk about that position uh, from press to to uh, science, to, uh, you know, uh, uh, court cases, whatever it might be. But the, the underlying fact is we all come with a certain philosophy to those things. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if you're coming to a trial for a murder trial and you believe that things can just pop into the universe at random, uh, then the, the murder weapon might not have a, a big factor to you <laughs> being, you know, in in the husband's car, Um uh, then, you know, if, if, if someone doesn't believe that. So um, what, what we bring to the table, uh, we all have one, so it's all universal. Hmm. So yeah. overall, uh, uh, an overall view of life by which we make sense of the world is, is what we would call this. It's right. incapable of holding purely arbitrary opinions um, or, or making entirely unprincipled decisions. And uh, Bob Murphy, in, in our discussion about this, talked about this from an economic standpoint, is uh, Ludwig von Mises uh, uh, termed this human action. Is, is We make choices in our daily life about time preferences, what we would like to do, um, um, be, because we have this, this ability to act. And uh, we don't just, you know, uh, take the gold over the, over the, the lead because, you know, uh, nature pushes us to like a rock rolling down a hill we, we make we make specific choices so mm-hmm. we we there's no arbitrariness in in those type of actions now whether those actions are are logical that those are another questions but right. the, the very fact is we all universally have um uh opinions that we don't hold arbitrarily mm-hmm. yeah good so uh so so since young people have uh, questions, she wants us to see uh, how uh, the seriousness of this, and especially if they don't get answered, right? right? And so she quotes some um, uh, various, uh, uh, um, well, let me just say studies uh, to, to help bring this point home. So she says the, the um, in one sociological study, teens were asked why they fell away from the religion in which they were raised, right? And um, nearly a third, 32%, said that they left the church because of doubts and questions. So that's kind of interesting, mm-hmm. right? Why did you fall away? Well, because I had doubts and, and, um, and questions. The teen told re- researchers, I di- it didn't make any sense anymore. Some stuff is too far-fetched for me to believe, I think, scientifically, and there is no real proof, and and that sort of thing. Another study by uh, David Kinnaman uh, reports that 36% of young adults felt they could not ask life's most pressing questions in church. So not only did they have doubts and questions, they didn't feel like they could 
pursue them in church, in a, in a religious atmosphere, right? As a result, 30, uh, 23% said that they had significant intellectual doubts about Christian teachings, right? So one would like to think that if you do have these doubts, you know, that they, about Christian teaching and that sort of thing, the church is the place that right. you would go to right. to try to get those dealt with, yeah. right? But according to this, uh, young people didn't feel like they could come to the church and have these questions answered, right? Boy, I wonder what they would think of the early church. You know, just <laughs> what am I doing here again? I, 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 all my, all my Jewish family members went over here to this building on Sunday. I've, I've, I've questions on what they believe and why they're not sacrificing in the temple anymore. Can you, can you explain that? Yeah. No, 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 no. no, no Sorry, no, we're, yeah, we're just here. accept it. It's part yeah. of what we do. We, we need, we need three songs, <laughs> a thirty-five minute sermon, uh, no more, and then uh, you know sh- maybe shake hands and route. All right. <laughs> We got places to be. We got old country buffet to go to. Yeah, so she suggests you know a lot of church youth groups uh, rarely teach apologetics, uh, majoring instead on games and goodies. Oh, so that's kind of a uh, I don't know maybe a low blow, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so she says now parents are rightly concerned about the risks involved in exposing their children to non-biblical perspectives, right? Because there are risks, and so you, you you need to be aware of that. But she says there is also a risk in raising children who think the only way they can test their mettle is by breaking away from their family and their church, <laughs> right? So they're so caught up into this. Well, maybe there's something on the outside that I'm missing. That kind of thing, right? And so competing world views often appear more attractive when they acquire the allure of the forbidden. Yeah, yeah. I think this was, uh, too, a response from the whole young, restless, and reform uh, perspective when it came out. It's, it's um, you know, th- these these ideas of God's sovereignty and depravity and, and good, you know, theological discussion uh, was almost hidden from us. And so, uh, you know, we, we were kind of given a, a, a watered-down version of the gospel and um, uh, everything's only the gospel and, and that's it. And, mm-hmm. and you can't ask questions further than that and not understanding like who God is and how that actually uh, helps build up your understanding of uh, what the gospel is and who it goes to and our role in that. Um, uh, th- those, the, the, that movement was a, a kind of a, an internal response from, from believers who kind of had the light switch thrown and said, there are there's more to it than than yeah. what we've been told and yeah. so yeah. um th- this is kind of the the opposite of what she's talking about is is instead of going towards unbelief they uh, these were believers who mm. went mm. deeper into belief because mm-hmm. they they realized that there was more and dead guys who had been writing uh, who had written <laughs> 1500 years ago actually you know talked about this stuff yeah so you know she's suggesting here and and the, the heading of this one is that teens we leave them vulnerable Right? right when they have right. questions and issues, and we we don't address them, right? We we kind of uh, you know uh, they don't they they don't feel like they can come to the church and get these types of things. She says uh, here the danger is she gives us an illustration of this the or example. The danger was brought home to me when I talked with a Christian mother who told me, "quote All the answers we need are in the Bible. We should not have to read anything else." Well, I mean, okay, that's, you know, I I don't have a a real serious problem with that. But then she said in the next breath, she confided that her son had recently gone off to college where he promptly joined a new atheist group and rejected his Christian upbringing. 
right? So this mother thought she was protecting her son by avoiding discussions of doubts and difficulties. Instead, she left him defenseless. And so when these new ideas came along, he had no context by which to deal with them. Right. And so he was taken in by it, yeah. right? So that's that's her issue here, and so she wants us to understand that uh, we need, as as Christians, as the Christian church, we need to be able to equip our young people to deal with these various issues. Now, clearly, that's not the only reason that young people leave the church, right? right? I think the major reason is probably they, they weren't saved in the first place. I think that's a big one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we, but, should, we shouldn't hold people underwater until yeah, they drown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it is an important reason, right? And we do need to deal with this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so she brings out this, this uh, particular issue. Right. I like how she says here that exposing the mind to ideas is like exposing the body to germs. It's a way to build immunity. Mm, you know, mm, how, yeah. how many times have you heard, uh, you know, uh, well, you know, you Christians, you, you you take one part of the Bible seriously, but not the other part. Why are you wearing mixed fibers or eating shellfish or, you know, all that? How many times do we have to deal with those same objections before we just have a, a, a quick pithy response to, right. to people? And so, <laughs> so, you know. When you first hear those things, it's like, oh, why do I do that? There are answers. There are people that have written about it. There are people that have uh, written a myriad of books to help explain it for who, who the type of person you are. Um, so see, seek out those answers uh, because they're they're out there. And, and we, we should be ready to have uh, uh, answers ready for people that do have those objections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And hopefully mm-hmm. we'll stop hearing those things and we'll hear new things for mm-hmm. the next 50 years. <laughs> All right, so you will. I don't know if I'll be around. Well, anyway. okay. All right. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, principle one: identifying the idol. That's where we're beginning. Um, uh, so, according to Romans one, those who reject the Creator will will create an idol. Again, uh, Romans one says there are no neutral positions. You're, you're either of God or you're not. Either you uh, have the the appropriate understanding of of the creation order, God and then man and then creation. Mm-hmm. Or you are supplanting uh, right. one of those uh, in place of God. Right. Either you accept the truth or you suppress the truth. Right. Right. Yeah. They will absolute size some power or element inanimate within the cosmos, elevating it to an, an all-defining principle, a false absolute. Right. So the idea here is that they take from general revelation something in the creation right. and, and then— uh, you know, make that into into God, right? And we covered some or, of those things, or, and it becomes their idol, right? Actually, it's yeah. it's it's not only uh, carved wooden figures; it's also your job or your money or, or sex your philosophy or, or whatever, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, they're replacing God as a God substitute. Uh, so this could be a, a God of reason, like the enlightened rationalists made uh, imagination, like uh, the romanticists. Uh, the nation as nationalists do, an economic version of sin of salvation like the Marxists have done. Uh, God cannot be rejected without putting something else in his place. Boy, that is a really good point, right? So it's kind of, once you reject God, you you need something else. It's it's kind of like, uh, you know, they say nature abhors a vacuum, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so it's the same kind of way in the spiritual realm, right? right. The the spiritual realm abhors a vacuum. And so if you replace, if you get rid of God, something else needs, is going to come in. Mm-hmm. Whether you, you know, acknowledge it or, or, or realize it or not, something will come in to take God's place. Right. And it's it's kind of like the argument you hear too that um, you know uh, atheism uh, isn't a religion 
Um, it's uh, it's just one less belief in a God that uh, that you believe in. Well, okay, I mean, I'll I'll take that as as that, but you're still not having a the same the the same foundation in how I, I look at things that that I come at things with. So what what lens are you looking at the world through? Whatever you've replaced uh, God with, and you can say that well, I never had God. Okay, what 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 eyeglasses are you looking at the world to make sense of the world? Mm-hmm. How do you view things as evidence? Uh, how, how what do you what do you take for? Um, how do we determine truth? Are there moral absolutes? Why is there something rather than nothing? How did we get here? What's the ultimate reality? <clears throat> yeah, right? that yeah. kind of thing. Right? And, and and I don't know is is a, is a fair assessment, but th- at some point in one of those questions, you're going to come to a a spot where y- y- what your actions are can then be delved back into what you actually believe. So you can claim a lot of those things as I don't know. You know, are there moral absolutes? Uh, well, I don't know. But then, you know, uh, is it okay if I take take your wallet without your permission? Well, no. Okay, so there are so some things that are. I thought you didn't are, know, right? Yeah, there are some <laughs> things that are wrong. Now, now, to what extent the, those are, we can have that conversation. Right. But see how this has helped to identifying even even going digging down to see where they're what they're claiming is not always what they're what their um, uh, true label is. And they might not even know it. It's, it's, it's not even a, a, a uh, critique against them saying, I don't know. Maybe they do not know. Yeah. You know, uh, empiricism. Uh-huh. Uh, people might not know what that is. So this helps you kind of dig down to then build back up to their kind of uh, first, first cause, their, their first uh, look at what, um, how they look at the world. Uh, God cannot be rejected without putting something else in his place. Uh, the, the, uh, most of history is made up of God's circuits, she says. Mm. Um, every human personality, uh, community, thought, form, culture will be based on some ultimate concern or ultimate allegiance, either God or some God substitute mm-hmm. from Timothy Keller. Scripture has given us the key to unlock this history, as uh, we see in uh, uh, Romans 1, but not just in Romans 1, we see in Ezekiel. Uh, that uh, he calls uh, uh, secular beliefs uh, idols of the heart. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel 14.3, she yeah. notes there. Yeah. Uh, the Hebrew word uh, for uh, heart uh, isn't uh, kind of the emotional response that, uh, that we get um, today. Uh, it, uh, it kind of, the Hebrew word means the innermost self, including the will, mind, moral character, and spiritual commitment. Mm-hmm. So it's more than just, I have an emotional response. Uh, you know, I, I really have a heartfelt conv- conviction about this. Well, you know, what, 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 is, what does that mean? Is that just, well, I, I feel squishy towards it, or is there, <laughs> is there more to it? And even the Greek word for heart, cardia, likewise means the center, the core of the person, the being. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe uh, um, when, when back in the day, the pe- people kind of had a, a, the gut reaction, the splinknoid is, is the Greek word for mm-hmm. it, where you kind of uh, feel with your gut um, how, how, how intense you are about um, something. Thus, idols of the heart are uh, convictions that engage us most deeply and drive our behavior, mm. uh, because those are uh, how how we look at the world, and then from there we we might not know the specific label for it that philosophers and scientists give it, but it's th- uh, through those uh, first beliefs that cause us to to have action. Right, and 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 you know it's it's virtually impossible to uh, have beliefs without having them affect our behavior. What we believe affects our behavior, Mm -hmm. right, regardless of it. And so it's not a um, 
you know, a neutral issue. It's not a, an unimportant issue. What people believe ultimately affects their behavior. Right. right? Uh, everyone believes something in the sense that they must assume some principle is fundamentally true. Atheists uh, often fail to recognize that they are in the same boat as everybody else. A common mantra is that atheism is uh, not a belief. Atheism is merely a lack of belief in God or gods. But it's impossible to think without some starting point. If you do not start with God, you must start somewhere else. You must prove something else as the ultimate, eternal, uncreated reality that is the cause and source of everything else. Even if you don't view it as ultimate, eternal, uncreated, or reality, um, th there's still something that you're you're referring to when you talk about the world or you're not having conversations with people and you believe that you're the only mind in the world and at least <laughs> then you're being consistent with that belief right so so the atheist can't say i mean they can say oh it's just a you know atheism is just a lack of belief in god right? right no 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 you must propose she says something else as the ultimate eternal uncreated reality mm -hmm. you have to do that right. right again because something has to take take up that vacuum Right. right. So so we can't we shouldn't allow them to get away with with that kind of uh, talking. Right. 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 Yeah. And so uh, we have these claims that uh, st stand up to testing. And so both sides should should test what uh, what they purport. The advantage of using biblical terms like idols is that levels the playing field. Secular people often accuse Christians of having, quote unquote, faith, while the claiming them themselves base their convictions purely on facts and reasons. Uh, like Spock from Star Trek. Uh, not so. If you press any set of ideas back far enough, eventually you reach an ultimate starting point, something that is taken as self-existent reality on which everything depends. The starting assumption cannot be based on prior reasoning, because if it were, you could ask what was, uh, where that reasoning starts, mm -hmm. and it often leads to an infinite regress. At some point, every system of thought has to say, this is my starting point. So, you know, if you talk about um, your ultimates, so what, what's your ultimate starting point? Well, reason's my ultimate starting point. Okay, well, how are you able to reason? Uh, well, I, I uh, uh, view whatever this allows me to reason. Okay, well, that's actually your ultimate starting point. So reason isn't really your starting point. Whatever is above that is your ultimate mm -hmm. reasoning point. Mm -hmm. And that's when we get into the, the so-called problem of circularity and not all circles are created equal. And so uh, we'll, I think we get into that uh, later. So mm -hmm. e everyone has one, and we all have to find the starting point of our beliefs. Yeah. Good. Although you cannot argue backwards to their prior reason, you can argue forward by spelling out, one, their implications, and two, testing both uh, the, their, the, the logic that they derive from this and the experience. Yeah, so, so this is kind of interesting, right? She says, we, some t although we cannot argue backwards to their prior reasoning, we can spell out the implications of their. What does this imply, and what is the consequences of reasoning like this? Right, that's what she's trying to get at here. And so we can <laughs> test those implications by the test that she's going to eventually right. uh, give us. Right, experience and 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 reason, logic. Right? Yeah. yeah, and if you're using the Jason Lyles "Don't answer, answer," this part would would be the answer part. Yeah, yeah. T take take the take the worldview and say, okay, let's assume this is true. These are the implications, kind of a reductio ad absurdum type type deal. Right. So, so oftentimes, you know, it would seem like we're saying, well, if everybody sees through a uh, their own lenses, then then truth or whatever is just uh, relative, right? But that's not really what we're saying. What we're saying is, yes, people do see through their own lens, but there is a right 
way to see things. Mm-hmm. So it's not relative. Their truth does exist, right? right. And so you have to uh, then find that. Right. So it's not everybody sees through their own lens and therefore, you know, we just are looking through the Christian lens. No, there is a right way to view the world. And so just lensing isn't the the final answer. Right. The answer is let's get at the there is a true right lens that we need to find and get to. Yeah. The, the three blind men touching the elephant. Mm-hmm. Each, each one views it as something completely different. Uh, what the point of the story is that none of the men are correct, right. and, and that the elephant is 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 more than the kind of the sum of the parts right. that they're feeling. Yeah. So there is really an elephant that's different than what each one of them thinks. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the, and so the person telling the story apparently is either not blind or it can avoid the problems that being blind has. Yeah. Because right? yeah. right? they can see the whole elephant. Maybe reveal it in yeah. written and spoken word. Or at word. least they assume that they, <laughs> their perspective is the whole elephant, right? Yeah. Elephant-like. Yeah. So the next section here she, uh, is entitled Religion Without God. She says another advantage of using the term idol is that it avoids a kind of dry intellectualism as though people, you know, choose a life philosophy the way they solve a logical puzzle. Uh, She says when people commit themselves to a certain uh, view, uh, vision of reality becomes their ultimate explainer, right? So their vision of reality, their view of reality helps them to explain things. Explain what? Well, she says it, it serves to interpret the universe for them, to guide their moral decisions, right? To give meaning and purpose to life and all the other functions normally associated with religion. So notice, again, our beliefs kind of affect our behavior in these various ways, right? So in this section, she asked the question, uh, well, is there one feature shared by all religions? Now, she's going to say yes, but... She's going to suggest that it's not necessarily uh, the feature that uh, we think it is, right? right? And so she's going to go through uh, various of these. And so the first one here you can deal with with regard to morality. Yeah. Uh, So if a a personal deity is not required, uh, which we kind of think uh, when we talk about religion is, oh, everyone always talks about uh, a god when it comes to religion. Well, in many Eastern religions, uh, they are kind of amoral. They teach that everything must be accepted as parts of the one or the whole, the yin, the yang, both good and evil. The goal is the balancer uh, union of opposites. So, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Because everything is one, there is no good and evil because right. it's all the same. Yeah, right? yeah. That's yeah. the, uh, the, the the there must be balance to the force, and you can never <laughs> get rid of the Sith or the dark side. Um, there just must be balance, and that, yeah. that's that's the goal. Uh, and well, the question is, how do you know that's the that's the dark side if everything is one? Right? <laughs> There's no way to determine dark side from light side, and other bef- than the side that I like. Right. Maybe. Right? And, be- and before before Disney <laughs> destroyed everything, there were some really good books out there. Because as we know, only a Sith deal in absolutes, and that's what we're going for here. So I don't know what that says about us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's pantheism. Pantheism teaches that it's a mistake to draw any moral distinctions whatsoever. Everything merges in the one. The end result, however, is that you can't distinguish good from evil, which means you have no basis for fighting against evil. You're right. And uh, again, if everything is one, there then everything is one. There is no good right. or evil. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, th- there are things like uh, the movie Avatar uh, that that promotes this kind of uh, Gaia-like uh, hypothesis. Um, significantly, 
Uh, the Gaia is portrayed as beyond good and evil. One of the natives says, our great mother does not take sides. She protects only the balance of life, which then makes no sense because the whole the whole second half or the third half of the 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 um, the movie is about fighting against the Imperial, uh, not um, Americans, but Earthlings to to then stop this war from happening. But isn't the war uh, in in the in the whole plan of, of, of Gaia? Why are, why are we stopping it? Doesn't this bring balance in some way of curtailing the species or well or? And, and and there's a logical problem there. It's kind of subtle and sneaky, but the idea here is that uh, you know um, uh, what is this? Iwa is is uh, portrayed as beyond good and evil. And one of the natives says that our great uh, mother does not take sides. She puts, well, wait a minute. What does she do? She protects only the balance of life. Isn't that a side? Yeah. I think that's a side. So, right? to, so to the balance of life, yeah. the, protect, the balance of life then is the good that she's protecting. So she's not beyond good and evil. There is a good there. So the other side must be, I don't know what that side is, but clearly <laughs> she's taking a side. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and somehow we can destroy her in the, in the movie, but <laughs> yeah. but uh, James Cameron uh, should not uh, should not uh, be the be all end all for for good movies. Uh, uh, polytheistic religions may demand rituals to appease the gods and guarantee good health and good harvest, but often they say nothing about morality. Um, anthropologist Mary Douglas discovered in her research that there is no inherent relationship between religion and morality. There are primitives who can be religious without being moral and moral without being religious. Mm. So indeed, pagan gods are often outright Im- immoral. And uh, we, we see this if you studied any uh, Greek mythology, Roman mythology. Um, usually the, the gods are doing bad things and hum- humanity is reacting uh, to that, uh, including Zeus turning himself into a cow and, you know, all the all the fun stuff of the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, the, the gods are, are not really ever portrayed as, as good. In fact, <clears throat> when they do good, uh, like Prometheus, uh, he, he does good for humanity. Uh, he's punished for all eternity. So um, that, that, that there's there's uh, there's no sense of um, of real like objective goodness. And um, the, the, the gods aren't there to be looked up upon. They're just. Um, elements from the nature of where the Romans and, and the Greeks came from. So, um, you know, where they say uh, saw uh, uh, amorous things or amoral things, um, they had gods in place to say kind of this is why they yeah, are. Right. So it's, they were used as an explanatory uh, device. Right, yeah. right. So no one no one said Zeus was, you know, the, the champion of the, the pantheon of the gods because he was the most, you know, kind. Uh, he just happened to be the most powerful. And um, if you look at Greek and Roman civilization, I mean, that that spoke a lot more than, than um, you know, um, being a, an objective uh, moral creature. So, mm. mm-hmm. um, do all theologies at least involve some kind of worship ritual? No, again, uh, in ancient Greece, uh, Epicurean taught that the gods exist, uh, exist, but take no interest in human affairs, mm. and the uh, blind watchmaker. Other religions that practice no worship inc- include Brahmin Hinduism and Trevada Buddhism. So, um, a lot of the the uh, kind of staples that we think of when you hear the word religion, um, so far, don't meet her. Expectation, yeah, or our, right. our expectations. Right. So then, are there any features that are shared by all religions? Um, 
And surprisingly, she surprisingly she says only one. Um, she says the only feature shared by all religions is that they acknowledge something as divine, using that word divine uh, to mean the self-existence, eternal reality that is the origin of everything else. Right. right? So the ultimate reality, the, the thing that, uh, you know, is the origin brings everything else into existence. That then becomes the common denominator, she suggests, with regard to um uh, to uh, to religion, that's what they share, and she calls this, you know, um, uh, deity, right, or uh, not something as divine, yeah. yeah, is what she calls and, it. Yeah. And if if you watch some something like the old or even the new cosmos or Carl Sagan's pale blue dot speech, the 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 majesty that he talks about the universe fits this definition to the T. He, yeah. he views he views the creation of of the universe, the 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 actual universe itself as this kind of divine being that brings forth life and that, you know, when, when we look into it, we look into ourselves and, uh, you know, we should say thank you and, and you know, worship the sun in the in the sense that the sun gives us life. Uh, and so our, our ancestors who worshipped the sun, small uh, S-U-N, mm-hmm. um, they, they weren't too far off the beaten path. They're just... Uh, deified it where he wouldn't deify it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, so with regard to this, then self-existence, eternal reality that they all share, she says, as a result, religions are a lot more like uh, philosophies than most people think. Right. And philosophies are a lot a lot more like religions, <laughs> right? Structurally, both start with a set of postulates about what is ultimately real or divine, right? And then... Um, uh, and then they go from there. She says, think of the divine as whatever is furthest back, beyond, or behind everything else. For example, in polytheism, the personal gods and goddesses are not the ultimate reality because they draw, derive from some pre-existing uh, primordial, primordial uh, substance, and that is what actually functions as a divine. So that is what she suggests is... Um, uh, is 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 the commonality between all religions, and as she mentions here, it's a lot like philosophy. All right. All right. Yeah. Um. So you know, for some folks, nature itself is divine. This is the idol of paganism. Uh, nature becomes the the divine. It is the ultimate, and that sort of thing. And so that is what she says is the common common idea here. Right. Well, I think here's where we're going to stop. Uh, this is kind of chapter two, so uh, the next one will be the second part of chapter two, and we'll try and get th- through the rest of it. But uh, this is a good place to stop because the the second part deals with these types of uh, philosophies and what their beliefs are, and mm-hmm. uh, again, identifying what their idols are. So, um, you know, when it, when it comes to things that, that philosophers or scientists believe um, that are replacing the idea of of the biblical Christian God, um, uh, we're identifying. Uh, how they're lifting up uh, that that uh, that idea that uh, that belief system mm-hmm. or or um, you know if it's it's that a view it's of the ultimate God. reality yeah. or whatever yeah. um, then then we should first identify it so that's what this this um, uh, part one of of, of the five part plan that Nancy Piercy has for us uh, right. that's and, what we're going to do and so she's going to give us next some examples of how to do that so that we can at least get a feel for what that looks like right and we'll do that next time yeah right. so All thank right. you alright